Okay, I'm going to record my intro now, uh, just so we have that, and then we'll just jump right in. <sighs> no, I got no, I got nervous. I got nervous. Travis, you're going to do great. There's no Sit reason for you down. to be nervous Stop. right now. Honestly, this is the easiest thing in the world to do, so no pressure. You're listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show. Welcome, 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 improvisers, artists, and weather enthusiasts who clicked on this before reading the title of the podcast in its entirety. I'm Travis Lincoln Cox. I'm joined by my co-hosts and teammates, Anatasha Blakely. Yay! And Andrew Pish. Hey, what's going on? We are Storm Chaser Improv, and this is the very first episode of our Artist's Brain series on the Storm Chaser Improv podcast show. This is a series where we beg the best and brightest artists in the world to come on our show so we can pick their brain and try to siphon off some of their genius and steal it for ourselves. Now, it's only fitting that the person we have to launch the series, the person we're interviewing today, right now, just happens to be my favorite person on the entire planet. She's smart. She's strong. She's funny. She can sing. She can dance. She's a multiple award-winning actress. She's appeared on Criminal Minds, Animal Kingdom, and a whole slew of other films and TV shows, including an excellent film written and directed by Anatasha Blakely. And above all that, she's the kindest, most supportive, positive person on the planet. I've never met a single person who didn't instantly fall in love with her. I know I did. She's my wife and your dear friend, Whitney Morgan Cox. <laughs> Whit. <so> weird. <laughs> hey, Whit. Hiya. You're really pretty. That was an incredible introduction. Like, that I want to be married to you. Like, you know, wow. Yeah. I want to be married to me. That was pretty. That person <laughs> sounds very cool. That person is very cool. Sounds like a good time gal. <laughs> uh, I'm actually kind of excited to interview you and a little bit nervous too because. I know you very well. Pish and Tosh yeah. know you very well. Yeah. So a lot of what we're going to talk about is sort of stuff we are familiar with already. So it sort of feels like yeah. we are like showing our friends our favorite movie. And our friends in this case are the listeners and the favorite movie is you. And I'm just so excited for everyone to get to know you and like hear your stories and just learn how great you are. Well, happy to be here, Travis. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I've never been like interviewed like this before. It's so weird to have you call me by my full name. Yeah. What do you call him at home when no one can hear you? I think I just babe, probably. Babe. Maybe okay. Babe. That's a good one. Yeah. Babe's classic, but it's good. I've been taking a lot of baths lately. So I've been thinking about like that just took me to like, what do I yell when I'm in the bath when I'm trying to get Travis's attention? And it's babe. Right, babe? Yeah, babe. But I just call you babe, too. It's Cool, babe. I guess we're that girls couple that just calls each other babe. Like that episode of The Office where it's just everybody hates it. It's the absolute worst for that couple. Exactly. So I want to jump. I want people to sort of learn your origin story. So let's start at the very beginning with you as an artist. It's fair to say that your artist journey started with dance. Yeah. Yes. Not fair. Entirely accurate. Right. So yeah. tell me about that. Like how young were you when you started? I was two. I was two years old when my mom put me in dance. She grew up 
dancing a little bit. She got into a accident in Germany when she was a kid and broke everything from her belly button down, basically. So she wasn't able to do a lot of dance since she always wanted her daughters to be dancers. Thankfully, my sister and I really loved it or else I think it would have broken her heart. I, I think I loved it a little bit more than my sister. I think my sister is probably better at it than I was, but I loved it a little bit more. Yeah, so started when I was two and didn't stop until I had to. Do you remember the moment that you fell in love with it? Like, do you remember a specific class or moment where you thought, this is for me? I know you were very, very young, so. Yeah, I don't necessarily have a memory of when I fell in love with it. I have a lot of memories of watching ballet as a kid. There's a specific ballet called Coppelia, which is probably one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life, which made me want to be a prima ballerina. Obviously, that did not work out. But I remember watching that at a very, 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 very young age because at the conservatory and school that I was in, we had different sections and different categories of things that you could do. So not just as far as dance goes, but like I could go to the ballet and write a report on it and I would get an award. So it was an all-encompassing dance school and conservatory and not just somewhere where you take classes. So I started watching ballet from a very, 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 very young age as well. And that's what made me want to do it, was watching it. The doing of it is difficult and painful <laughs> a lot of the time. Um, <laughs> but worth it, obviously. I mean, I can't say obviously, because a lot of people don't know how worth it it is, but it is very... Yeah, I think dance is interesting. All art takes like sacrifice, but you see those pictures of like ballerinas' feet. And even you now not having danced for, you know, 20 years or whatever it is, yeah. you can still see like the history of your dancer's feet is still evident in in your body. It, in the structure of it. Yeah. Yeah. My no. yeah, my body in general carries a lot of the damage from dance. But I mean, most dancers especially ballerinas, principal ballerinas don't really last into their thirties. As far as a career goes, you have a very, very, very long career. If you're a principal ballerina in your thirties. So you sort of touched on it. Your career as a dancer ended much earlier than that. You had a pretty significant injury you experienced. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. I ripped my ankle out and had to have it reconstructed, which when you're put on point shoes, at a relatively young age, your your body and your bones don't necessarily develop the way that they should. So I just had kind of weaker ankles anyway and ripped one of them out and had to have it totally reconstructed. And the, the day I found out that I was never going to dance again ended up being like the best and worst day of my life because it took something away from me. The only thing I had ever wanted consistently, which was to be a dancer. Yeah. Took that away. And I was a little empty after that for a while. I want to get back to that, but just real quick, can you tell everyone how you ripped your ankle out? Well, yeah, I injured myself a lot of ways. <laughs> but the main way, there was a little stepladder that we were supposed to be doing a trick off of in one of our dances and I decided that I didn't need a spot for it and and tried to do the the layout and the stepladder slipped and I landed 
on my ankle in this well you, I, they can't see this this is a podcast <laughs> in the way that it ripped it out so badly that the only thing really holding my foot to my leg was skin huh. <laughs> oh <man. Okay. laughs> so i made my orthopedic surgeon throw up he did not feel good after taking a look at my ankle and and basically said hey you can there's two options for you we can either do surgery now or we can do surgery now which one would you prefer you made your surgeon throw up he was yeah he was not excited about the way my ankle was just hanging there that's one of my favorite details of this story is that this is a guy who his career is looking at injuries he does it every day multiple times a day and your foot was so gross that he couldn't handle it yeah he yeah we're not talking about an accountant we're talking about a surgeon who yeah. cuts into people's <laughs> bodies on the red yeah it was gross it was grody did your family take pictures of this? I don't want to see them. I'm just curious. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure my mom did. My mom. But this was also right before, you know, like cell phones had cameras and stuff like that. So it was, it's all. It'd be more like going to the cupboard to pull out a camera. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what happened. Um, but yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I do. I'm sure I have some pictures. My mom does anyway. That's not necessarily a time that I look back on fondly. Such a hard thing. So that sort of that sort of leads me into my next question. I think about, yeah, I think about this a lot that we, most people sort of experience what you experienced through like watching sports. A, a player has a serious injury and they card him off the court or they card him off the field and the announcers go, oh, he may never play again. And that's really hard. And we see the pain on their faces and we sort of like, man, that must be so rough. But you literally went through it. I mean, your career was dance. Your life was dance. I definitely wanted it to be. Yeah. 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 And all of a sudden it wasn't. I'm curious about when you knew that it wasn't. Did you know right away when it first snapped? You're like, I'm not coming back from this. Or was it when the surgeon told you or? Yeah, it wasn't until because I had had injuries before this wasn't this by no means was my first surgery or injury so I had had knee surgery before and everything I had been able to come back from so this to me was just a really bad sprain hmm. what we thought you know this is just like going to be a, a bad sprain and I was going to be have to be off it for a couple weeks and um I, then I would be able to get back to strengthening it and getting better and all of that, but I knew it was when the surgeon, my doctor basically said that I wasn't going to be able to do point anymore. I can still dance, but I wasn't going to be able to dance on point shoes anymore. And that was, again, not that I was, I, I was necessarily the best dancer, but I loved it. And that was, so that was devastating. That was gut-wrenching to be told that the most beautiful thing that you think is that the human body is capable of like the most beautiful way to tell a story, which is what I, what I knew was not a viable option anymore. It's not something that I was going to be able to do ever, not yeah. even just for fun. You know, it's not, it's not just that I couldn't do it professionally. It's that I can't do it ever. How old were you when this injury happened? 17. 17. Okay. Yeah. And then I'm going to sort of force you to tell the story because it's, 
one of my favorite episodes of Whitney's life saga, which is you moving to Hawaii on a whim. So how, what's the gap between? <laughs> oh, this makes me sound like a crazy person. That's why I love it so much. You are a crazy person. So what's the gap between ripping your ankle out and sort of having the, your future canceled, if we want to be dramatic, and to uh -huh. moving to Hawaii? It's very dramatic, but I like drama. Yeah, also, also like the perspective of like, yeah, what in the processing? Yeah, because Travis mentioned athletes going through this, Olympic athletes, football players, you see it a lot where they talk about for one reason or another, their career's over and it's the only thing they've dedicated themselves to, the thing that they're in love with. And so I'm curious if you have suggestions on how to process that and if Hawaii was part of that for you. For sure. I went rogue, man. There was a lot happening at that point in my life that wasn't just related to the injury. My folks were splitting up. My older brother was getting married, moving out. My sister had moved to Europe to be a nanny for a while. My little brother was still in high school. I had just graduated. So we, I was in this really bizarre sort of shifting space in my life where everything was changing. And I did not handle it very well. So I had had my injury and then I had an entire dance competition season where I didn't care and just wore like two ankle braces and competed anyway. And then I had surgery after this competition season because I wasn't going to miss out competition season. Wait, so you were performing on your newly healed ripped out ankle. wasn't healed not even a little bit but yeah <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> yeah you're just working through the pain that's nuts i wore yeah i wore braces i wore two braces with that had like metal in them uh metal sidings in them for a little bit of support because i wasn't gonna i mean if that was gonna be my final competition season i wasn't gonna miss it so i didn't <laughs> so dumb when you think about it now so hardcore but that was a great competition season i did very well <laughs> so <laughs> i'm all right with it how much did you how much did you have to practice to work around the injury mentally a lot it's all it, it all ended up being mostly mental if i didn't feel the pain then it didn't exist type of situation just being able to like go to this place where that just is not something that registers with me at that moment. And it can't register with me for this three minute period. By the way, that's something you've carried with you for the rest of your life. I mean, we were in a play together called the Mikado where you broke your ankle and My foot. Yeah. broke your foot. Right. And instead of saying, Oh, I can't perform. You just, you just did perform. And I yeah. don't think anybody even knew. That's an impressive pain tolerance. I feel like such, I'm such a baby. I don't. The things you do for love. You know, you relate to that song from a chorus line, what I did for love. Dance was literally my life. It was literally just the only thing I ever wanted to do. And if that was going to be my last hurrah, if that was going to be my farewell season, you know, my farewell tour of dance, then I was going to do it and I was going to do it to the best of my ability. So you go through this farewell season of competition you crush because you're the best your <laughs> your parents are splitting up your life yeah. is sort of like you know that your future as a dancer has been sort of taken from you 
You've mm-hmm. got this so much uncertainty. So take us to Hawaii. Walk us through that thought process. I don't think you could call it a thought process at all. I don't even think it was a process. It was a thought. And then all of a sudden I was there. Well, I know that when I watch Blue Crush, I think to myself, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to move to Hawaii. What other conclusion could you come to? So my friend Catherine um, and I, Catherine Marie, hi, Kat, if you ever listen to this, we watched the movie Blue Crush <laughs> for some reason, thought, hey, that right there, that looks like a good time. So we got on that night and bought one-way non-refundable tickets to Hawaii. And we moved. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and we moved. Let's, let's role point the conversation with uh, where I'm your dad and you you tell me that. Hey, dad, guess what I bought? What? <laughs> <laughs> or basically, I guess it was more like, look at what this is because I just handed him my ticket. Right. And he goes, this is a one-way ticket to Hawaii. Do you have a job? No. Do you have a place to live? <laughs> no. Mm-mm. When do you leave? Four days. <laughs> Have you ever seen Blue Crush, Dad? <laughs> Would you ever do something like that now? Yeah, man. Totally. Just take me with you. Just take me with you if you do. Don't just show me one ticket. Show me two tickets. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, for sure. For sure. No, well, my dad, I mean... To his credit, the day before we were supposed to move, I kind of started, I freaked out a little bit. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Should I be going? And my dad looked me in the face and said, what's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that can happen is that you move home. And that's not too bad. You never want to look back on your life and say, what if? My dad, Every I, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with my dad to this day where he doesn't say at some point in the conversation, you never want to look back in your life and say, what if? Because he apparently has a lot of what ifs and he doesn't want his kids to have any. So he has always really, really encouraged us to just kind of live our lives. And I think he could just tell at that point in my life, I just needed something. Hawaii was that. Something. I love that. And it changed my life. Yeah. yeah. Shout out the writer and director of blue crush. Cause that's what we're trying to do with, with art, yeah. right? We're trying to change the world. Life changer. Well, blue crush, blue crush changed yeah. the world. It did. It did change mine and cat fairly significantly. Yeah. So how did it change your life? It changed my life in a, in a lot, in a lot of ways. I'm wondering how this changed your life because a trip can change your life pretty easily, but I feel like it can also just be like, yeah, I did this crazy thing this one time. Yeah. Um, I think because I was dealing with so many bizarre things that I hadn't thought that I was ever going to have to deal with not being able to dance and my folks splitting up, just being at age 17 in general and trying to figure out your life. I had never moved away from home before. I mean, I was 17. So I, it was the first time in my life I never had anybody telling me it's time to get up. You have to go get a job. You have to go to church. Here's all of these regimented things that you have to do that have to lay out for you. I was on my own for the first time, very far away from anybody that I knew nobody to check up on me. So I kind of had to make those decisions. I had to decide as like, as far as my religion goes, I had to really kind of like dig in and say, Hey, do I actually feel 
a religious conviction or is it just because people have been telling me that this is something that I should believe? So I had to, I had to figure that out for myself. I had to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Dance had just been taken away, whether or not that was actual a realistic ending for me as far as talent goes anyway, it was my only option. It's the only thing that I had considered that I was going to do. Well, and let's, let's not mislead our listeners at all. You won all the contests. You I won a lot. Yeah, you were yeah. very, very good. Your odds of succeeding were high. Let's just be clear. Thank you. I'm going to take it. But that was not something that I was going to be afforded the opportunity to do anymore. So I had to then take a good hard look at Whitney, you know, as stupid and cheesy as that sounds, and find out what I liked, what my interests were, what I really, really wanted. I had a friend over there who went through a really, really terrible breakup and was suicidal for a little bit. And that gave me a lot of perspective as far as my, I I was very selfish as far as my folks separation was concerned. Um, I didn't really think about anybody but myself in that moment, which is why I left and ran away. But dealing with this friend that I had over there really helped me realize how selfish that was and how uh, I sort of abandoned my family. So it helped me realize a lot of things when it came to taking responsibility for that. It's interesting that you have to be far away to realize that you like ran away as opposed to really sort of help yourself. I ran away and had to realize that before I could help myself or anybody else. Did I answer your question? Probably not. Absolutely not. (laughs) Um, So I'll ask it again. Uh, no, that was beautiful. That was really beautiful. Oh, oh no. It really is. I mean, I love hearing your Hawaii stories. Honestly, we could talk about your Hawaii experience for six episodes of this podcast, yeah, but this is a podcast about art. So we're going to fast forward a little bit. You were in Hawaii for two years, mm-hmm. just so everyone sort of knows that you didn't just run away for a vacation. Like you moved. Oh, yeah. You had this great journey, this experience. You grew, you got wisdom. So much wisdom. All this stuff. So so how did you end up from escaping to Hawaii, finding your way to now you are an actor? Mm-hmm. Sort of connect that that dot for us as best you can. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not where I saw my life going, especially in Hawaii. In Hawaii, I had made the decision, again, like we got to know who uh, Whitney was a little bit. And I made the decision that I was going to become a forensic psychologist specializing in abnormal behavior. And you are weirdly obsessed with murder stories. Yeah, man. I think a lot of people are, but of of my close friends, you're the only person I know who is like really, really into crime stories. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a whole reasons, you know, behind that. You have my dad's history and... Which, briefly, can you say what that is? Yeah. My Aunt Mary Lou, who is my dad's sister, was killed by Ted Bundy. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys... I married the most interesting person on the planet. Can we just say that? Right? Uh, Yeah. And well, not me, my family. My family is very interesting. I'm just there to tell the stories. And then my aunt Claudia, when I was 16, was killed by her boyfriend. My dad's other sister. I remember having a conversation with my grandpa 
talking about what makes people's brains different than ours and why did they think it was either okay or no, it wasn't okay, but did it anyway, you know, backed on those kinds of behaviors and impulses that some people have. And from then on, it has, it's just become sort of a fascination and beyond a fascination in the sense that like, I'm genuinely curious about why that is. It's not, it's not some sort of, it's not a sick obsession with the grotesque. Are you a murderer just waiting for their first victim? No, I'm not. No, 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 I'm not. Okay. Well, I think what's beautiful about you is that everything in your life really comes from a place of compassion. And I could see as an actor or someone who's studying abnormal behavior that it would come from a place of truly wanting to understand others and help them yeah, and understand what makes them tick in that way to empathize. So. Yeah, it's a it's a genuine concern about why, what 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 is the difference? Like, what makes your brain different than my brain? Even though there's nothing criminally sick about your brain, I'm just, I'm still fascinated with the differences that that, that we have. So it's just a psychological fascination in general, I guess. Does that does that affect your acting process? Like, do you feel like you come from sure. a place of study in, in that way? One hundred percent. I start, I start psychologically for sure. Um, Travis is very physical when it comes to his process. Tricks, I'm giving away tricks. What I think is interesting is that you started as a dancer and here you are saying that Travis comes from a very uh, kinesthetic yeah. place. Yeah. But then you're like, oh, I jump in from a psychological place. I think one of the reasons why I jump in from a psychological place is because I spent so much of my life having to be very physically aware of my body. So it's not something that I think about a whole lot. It's like second nature for you. Whereas a guy like me, I've got terrible posture in real life. I'm like the grossest person ever. So when I read a, a script, I've got this vision of what the character looks like. So I start in front of the mirror because I'm not physically aware. I need to. Yeah. I have to like work that part. Whereas wit her whole life, she's worked that part. So I think it comes so natural to you. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think about physicality a lot it just sort of manifests itself in a psychological sense so if I have something going on on a deeper level on a psych like on psychological level with the character it informs itself in ballet in general there are archetypes in ballet just like there are in any other sort of storytelling and and things like that and certain characters and certain people that you portray certain of these archetypes have bodily things built into them and that informs the rest of her physicality. But that's just something that my body does when I'm psychologically creating the character. Like what is weighing on this person shows up physically without me having to do it in a mirror. Man, I want Whitney to coach me because I no. feel like physically, I'm that is definitely a weakness for me as well, Travis, where I have to consciously be working on that because it, it is not easy for me and I think it's really interesting how you're talking about it manifesting physically like you, the homework that you, you've done on a character just manifesting physically in different ways yeah and I want to learn from you <laughs> just for for our listeners Whitney is true I know Travis's intro was pretty cool and hyped up but Whitney truly is one of the most talented actors I've ever seen so I'm loving hearing about this. Thank you for sharing. She's definitely better than me. I want to do this every week. 
I want you guys to interview me every <laughs> single week. This is making me feel good. Were you going to say she's better than you, Pish? I was going to say she's definitely better than me, and that's saying no. something. Because <laughs> that's a high bar. Pish is a very talented man. Thank you. But I think we would all unanimously vote that, that Whitney is more talented. Except for Whitney. Whitney would not vote that unanimously. Whitney, Whitney would say all three of you guys, yowza. Who would, who, uh, who of the three of us is the most talented? Who's your favorite storm chaser? Jesse. Um, okay, what were we talking about? <laughs> Sorry. Improvisers of the world, Andrew here. I think we can all agree 2020 was quite a year. We all want to start 2021 on the right foot. And you know what? You beautiful humans, you don't have to do it alone. 2020 was a year of isolation. Let's make 2021 the year you find your community again. A dear, dear friend of mine, Kimberly Alou, at the People's Improv Theater, The Pit, is here to help you break through barriers and find the fun in the new year. Take a whole host of classes, including Fundamentals of a Form, where you can learn 12 improv forms throughout the year. There's also how to start a virtual indie improv team where you and your new classmates will spend six weeks developing a brand new form specifically tailored for this virtual world we found ourselves in. And also, approach to dramatic improv where things slow down and you'll find the power of silence in your scene work. So, whether you're a newbie improviser looking to up your game or an expert looking to stay fresh, she's got a class for you. Let me just say... Kimberly's been a great friend. She's been there for me. And she knows improv, so I know she can be there for you. Check out her upcoming classes, including start dates and pricing, at aluhu.com. That's A-L-U-W-H-O.com or thepit-nyc.com. That's T-H-E-P-I-T-N-Y-C.com. You're sleeping on a beach in Hawaii. You find acting. How does that happen? I didn't find acting until I had moved home from Hawaii. So yes, I was sleeping on a beach in Hawaii. Um, my mom had some health problems. And so I decided to move back to St. George, Utah, which is where she was living at the time with my little brother and help her get some of her medications regulated and so I moved home and my little brother was into theater. He was in, he did acting in high school and he was taking a theater class, which was a monologue class and failed it because he never went because that's the only way you can fill a theater class is by not showing up. If you show up and you memorize and no matter if you're the worst you're still gonna you're not gonna fail you're not gonna fail that class She's calling you out drew she's calling you out it's true it's true it's 100 true and he said hey i don't want to take this class by myself come take it with me and i was taking a lot of my hard classes my prerequisites for my psychology degree and it ended up being a practical monologue class which was very uncomfortable for me because i thought that i was just gonna have to go to this class and go see a play and write a paper on it. But it ended up being a practical monologue class where you actually have to get up and monologue. And by the end of the semester, the Dean of Fine Arts was like, hey, come back, I'll give you a scholarship. And I was like, Meh, 
I think I'm just going to move to San Diego instead. So I did that. Is that because you saw a movie that took no. place in San Diego? <laughs> no. Anchorman. She saw Anchorman. It was like, I, I have Anchorman. to go there. Like, I have to be there. <laughs> I have to be there. No, my friend and I went to the Warp Tour in San Diego and we're like, this looks like a really great place to live. So we moved there. I was I was only there for a summer. I moved back, got a scholarship, and the first play came about and they asked if I was going to audition. And I said, no, I don't think so. And they said, yeah, you kind of have to. If you're taking our money. We're paying for your schooling. So you kind of have to audition. And I did. And I got cast. And it's been nothing but acting since. Do you feel like your love of acting feels similar to your dedication to dancing? 100%. The very first time I was on stage for a performance, not right before I was supposed to go on stage, because when that happens, I feel like I'm going to throw up like to this day, like I still get the worst <laughs> stage fright. I have so much anxiety when it comes to performing until I'm actually performing. And then it's exactly the same as with dance. I feel the exact same way I did, which is 100% why I'm still doing it. I discovered this other vein of performance that felt identical to dancing, just a little different in the execution. That's awesome. I love that. You're, you're communing with the audience. <laughs> it's a very special feeling. It is. It really is. I've noticed something in your life and it's something that we try to emulate as improvisers and artists, which is, you know, we have the saying of like, chase the storm, which is sort of like, go after the thing that excites you, go after the thing that scares you, go like, you follow things that are dangerous and risky. I mean, I don't think there's any better examples of that than like moving to Hawaii on a on a total whim without a preparation, like you took the leap, you know, you did it again when you were like, yeah. San Diego seems fun, let's go. And you yeah. talk about <laughs> you talk about the fear you have before you go on stage, yet you go on stage anyway. You know, yeah. so there's there's so there's a lot of examples in your life where you are what what we would say you're chasing storms in your life. And I want to know if you have any thoughts on that, if you've got, you know, advice about why people should or shouldn't do that, you know, if that type of philosophy's had an effect on your life, or even if you've even been aware that you're doing it all along. I don't think that I've been aware that I've been doing that, but it makes me sound incredibly cool. So <laughs> I'm going to say, yeah, of course. Of course, that's all been very intentional. I would say because of my familiarity with Storm Chaser and how long I have been close to your organization. Makes it sound like a mob or something. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. So, well, it's a, big, it's a very big deal. I feel like... I have noticed when I don't want to do that and that makes me do it, if that makes sense. So you, you have the feeling in your tummy when you're like, oh, that seems just awful. And you're like, maybe that's the thing I should do. For sure. And Travis knows this. I can be struck by a very harsh feeling of being left out. What do, what do they call that? Uh, FOMO is the technical term. FOMO. Thank you. Thank you, Travis. What is that? Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. Got it. So Travis knows just like how far to push me when he knows that I want to do something, but I'm 
just afraid of it or I really don't want to do something. He knows that line and I'm still trying to decipher that with myself. Being afraid of something is pointless. <laughs> when you when you think about it, it's no secret that I obviously I've got I have breast cancer. That's part of it. That's part of what's going on in my life right now. And being able to look back and see myself the way you guys have seen me as maybe fearless of moving to Hawaii and just kind of like saying, hey, this is something that I want to do, so I'm going to do it. Or this is something that scares me, so I, it's going to push me to do it, has made staring something a little bit more scary in the face easier to say, well, it's nothing I haven't done before. I faced scary things before. I've, I've looked at things and I've translated things into, I've translated very, very scary things into beautiful things before. And hopefully I can do that with this. But that's the main thing for Chasing the Storm is that it helps, it's, it's helping me do it in my daily life. Doing it as an artist is helping me do it in, in life where it doesn't seem as enjoyable. I want to dig in a little bit more. Um, when you are experiencing the extreme nervousness that you have before you get on stage or like with a cancer diagnosis, I want to dig into like, what is your self-talk around that? How are you pepping yourself up? What are the things that you're saying to yourself? What are like the beliefs that get you through that initial moment of like passing the threshold? Gratitude, I think, is the main thing that I use. My dad's mom and her mom died of breast cancer because I, my breast cancer is genetic. I have a, a BRCA1 mutation. And I am so grateful for the opportunity that I have to get the treatment that I'm getting and to have the diagnosis so early and to be able to face this in a time when it's not gonna kill me. The gratitude of, of being sick, when I don't feel well, when the, the chemo is you know taking its toll and at its worst, I'm feeling that way because it's working, because I'm getting better. That's a really, really beautiful thing. And it's something that I'm really, really, really grateful for. If we're talking about stage fright and performance anxiety and things like that, every single time before I go out on stage, I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? This is the worst. I hate this. This is absolutely like, why, who does this for fun? Nobody. And then you get out there and you start doing it and everything is gone like nothing else exists but that moment being able to not only forget yourself but help other people forget the horrible things that are happening in their lives or their loved ones lives or or being able to cathartically help them through something because i know i use plays and ballet and film and television as a cathartic thing being able to use yourself as a conduit to make people feel happy or catharsis or angry, you know, letting somebody feel a certain way about you so they can feel a certain way about themselves is not an opportunity I think people get a lot and performers get that opportunity every single time they perform. Am I going off the rails? No, you're perfect. I'm, I'm loving every second of it. Now, Pish was talking about moving through that emotional tunnel. Yeah. Like if you, if you feel something and you don't move through that tunnel and you don't get to the other side, it's like 
still in your body and your body's still processing that emotion. And I think, Uh you know, I definitely use plays and art and, you know, and music to help push myself along that tunnel a little further as a, as catharsis, a way to maybe open those emotional doors when everything in my body is like, we're not talking about that. We're not being sad right now. It'd be too much. Yeah. I can watch something that makes me cry and maybe that I relate to. And hopefully I'm a little further along in that tunnel with some help. Absolutely. And that's only one way. Obviously there's, you know. Yeah. But it's something as simple as I have found myself sobbing at like two week notice, like a Sandra Bullock movie that has very she little, little depth. All right, babe, babe. You finish your thought. <laughs> Are you gonna? You're gonna bring that up. Yeah, I'll just bring it up. She cried at a helpful Honda commercial on the radio. Yeah, I did. A guy got his refrigerator, and it was very moving. Okay. Our helpful Honda. Yeah. Honda is being helpful. <laughs> I don't understand what's so crazy about that. This is just your opportunity to defend yourself. They're helping people out. They're getting people school books when they can't afford them. This guy in particular needed a refrigerator and he got it and it was beautiful. Okay. <laughs> and do you own a Honda? <laughs> I know. We're not sponsored by Honda yet. No, we're not sponsored by, no, but their commercials are very effective. Let me just compliment you real quick. <laughs> I think that's one of the most amazing things about you is the way you process emotion Is crying no i just emotion in general i mean so many of us have walls up or you were programmed to protect ourselves and i've never seen anybody just accept their emotions so freely i mean before you go on stage you are afraid you're so afraid i've seen it you get almost physically ill how with how much fear you have yeah. but you sort of just like let it happen and then you go on stage yeah. anyway. When yeah. you're when you're sad, you you're so emotionally available that a helpful Honda commercial can affect you, and you just sort of like let it happen. Yeah. But it's the same with joy. When you're happy and like you're talking to your family or you're experiencing a a victory of life in some sense, like you also experience joy so freely at such a high level. And I I'm just think yeah. I like to tease you for it, but I really think it's a just incredibly healthy exciting vibrant way to experience life you're a good laugher you're a really good laugher. <laughs> See? yeah i'm a loud laugher that's the difference of being a good laugher oh you're a great laugher i love your laugh i think it's contagious every every comedian in the world should pay you to come to their show because there's nothing like hearing your laugh coming from the seats it's just the best <laughs> you guys you guys are the best so what's that moment like? So I know Pish talked about self-talk, you know, that moment before you step on stage or, and we've talked about chasing the storm. I think a lot of actors possibly whatever daggers coming from their scene partner or from the stakes of, of a scene, sometimes they're about to feel it. Like they're about to go there and something in your body is like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't want to feel this. And there's this impulse for, people to back off things. But I mean, I feel like I've seen you so many times where you are on the edge of that cliff and you do just let yourself jump or fall. And I wonder if you have any specific examples where 
you know, maybe you did back off and then what that experience was like or or what it's like for you to have that kind of open, raw heart that Travis is talking about and, and jumping in. <laughs> you guys are saying so many nice things. Um, I feel I feel like I back off a lot, especially in the memorization period of getting ready for a performance. I'm not very good in rehearsals in the sense of I'm so terrified of judgment that there are sometimes when I I'm, I'm getting better at it, but there were times it's like for sure in college when I didn't go fully until it was performance time because I was so afraid of the judgment and, and so new and everybody knew that I was so new to get into theater in college is not a normal thing to then decide to do with the rest of your life, to take a class of something that you've never really had any interest in whatsoever. And then all of a sudden be like, nope, this is what I'm doing with my life is something that is easy to judge. And I was fairly consistently good and bad. So I feel like, especially in college, I backed off a lot, but then you marry somebody like Travis who doesn't understand not jumping off the cliff because it's more fun. Gryffindor. Yeah. Yeah. It's more fun. It's more fun to feel that way. Griffin trap. Griffin trap. Whitney. So curious from that perspective, how do you feel about the rehearsal process now that you've had a lot of professional experience um and then is that something that when you are on set rather than on stage do you kind of like sometimes when you're jumping into a tv show without yeah um much prep with other actors and without rehearsal because you're like all right i can just put my fear aside for one moment instead of you know weeks and weeks of moments well interesting um i don't know if i phrased that no well, no i but. think i think i i think i understand there's definitely something liberating about just walking on set and knowing that you're there for a day or even just a couple hours and just very little pressure on you as opposed to walking into rehearsals for like an eight week run or something like that. We're going to have rehearsals and then you have to, and say you're the lead of this production. There's definitely less pressure when you're just walking on set and it's just a little, it's, it, it's a little more, I guess a little more fun in a, I can just do this and walk away, but not more fun in the sense of like, why do we do this is because we really, really like developing these characters and we like going on these journeys and we like telling these intricate, powerful stories. So it's totally being a a guest slash co-star on a procedural is a completely different type of work than doing a play or a feature. Yeah. Does that change your prep on an individual level? Like what, you know, you're handed a script, what you are going to do, Whitney, when you're alone in your house, like before rehearsal or before you show up on set? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are people who say, you know, there are no small roles. There are only small actors. And I don't agree with that. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, There uh, a role that requires me to say 10 words as opposed to 
an entire having to memorize an entire book is definitely is going to take it's going to take less work <laughs> for me it's going to be not as time consuming and it's not going to keep me up at night the way saying you know like playing mrs lovett is yeah here's your coffee lieutenant you don't have to dig quite as deep yeah yeah well and don't you feel too like if you're playing something that's very far from you in you know the, it's like the further away this person gets from you the harder it is to hold on to them and like get there in the first place whereas like if you're playing barista number three and you have one line and they cast you because of you know what i mean your voice your face and it's like you could just be yourself being a barista yeah because i've done that you know then it's yeah. like I'll, I'll, i could just show up i know my yeah. line it's good yeah like I don't have to overdose on heroin here, you know, <laughs> yeah. like I, I literally, although you could, I could, and I would probably acquire great, great acclaim for it. Being a barista who's like, here's your coffee while she's overdosing on heroin. That would be a choice. Yeah. That would be a choice That'd for sure. Big, you know what? Yeah. And I like big choices. So. Okay. Cut. Uh, what, uh, what are you, what, uh, what are you doing over there? I need my tips. I need my tips. Give me. <laughs> Okay, whatever that is, I, we don't. I don't. We don't need that. Let's I don't have do a problem. <laughs> Give me that moolah. You want your coffee? I know what that feels like. <laughs> don't do heroin, kids. Don't do uh, it. Don't. I've do never it. done heroin, and you probably could tell from my improv because I didn't do the kind of prep work that is needed for authenticity. You didn't go full method. Yeah. Well, speaking of improv, as we are sort of rounding up this interview, uh, first of all, Wit, you've been a delight. And I get yes. to, I live with you, yes. but this has still been wonderful. <laughs> um, but I want to set you up as a credible source of improv opinion. So let me just talk about you. You've been a, a so presence. Much knowledge. You've been a presence of Storm Chaser since literally day one. Mm -hmm. um, you've basically, you've been to probably 90, you've probably been to more rehearsals than any of us have you know, to tag along. You've seen almost all of our shows. You've performed some improv yourself. There, You do you know what you're talking about in improv. So the, we are an improv team. This is sort of an improv podcast. Just briefly, I want to hear your opinion for our improviser listeners. What's, what's uh, your least favorite thing to see in an improv show that maybe people should avoid? Trying to be funny. Was that for, was that for Pish specifically? That was, or? That was specifically for Pish. But he's getting better. He's really working. He's really working that muscle and really trying very hard to to. Do you all see grounded. my video? I am, I am here <laughs> still. Oh hey, buddy! I, I could hear I could hear everything that y'all were saying. Well, we we are very proud of you and the strides you're making in your improv to not be so funny. Yeah, effort that is doesn't... not sexy. Well, noticeable effort's not sexy. There you go. Yeah, is that's <laughs> interesting. Let's just talk about that for a second because I. Uh, that's something that is a conundrum to me. To be good, you have to try. You, we have to put in hours of rehearsal, talk shop with each other. Like we do try to get better for sure. Mm -hmm. But if you the second you let the audience see that you're trying, all of a sudden it's not funny. So it is sort of this weird balance of like, if I'm making a bit or trying to prove how clever I am, the comedy dies. Yeah, the best, the, the best way to be funny is literally just to listen and respond to each other. You know, mm -hmm. like yeah. you guys, you guys have such amazing chemistry together that you don't really have to think about that aspect of your 
improv anymore because you guys have such good chemistry and you know each other so well you guys can almost anticipate the moves that each other are going to make and respond in kind does that make sense you guys are Mm -hmm. consistently gifting each other and not consistently taking well aren't you sweet um i actually i have a theory which i think yeah whatever i I i'm gonna say that i could change my mind in two minutes but at least right (laughs) now I think the reason that that kind of effort where you're like just trying so hard to get the audience to laugh, trying so hard to be funny mm-hmm. is not funny is because it's like a small microcosm of pain. And I think real pain is not funny. It's not funny. Whereas like if there's joy underneath that pain. You're watching Catherine O'Hara screaming but there's joy and play underneath it. It's funny. But if mm-hmm. you actually watch somebody screaming and in pain, I, I personally, I have a hard time finding, finding that funny. Um, yeah. yeah. Somebody who's who, trying that hard isn't, yeah. isn't listening and yeah. they're not having fun. And the best, the best thing about improvising, the best thing you could ever see is just watching people have just like the time of their lives doing the most absurd storytelling that you've ever heard, you know? Yeah. I think you're uh, touching on a point. If you're, desperate for the audience to laugh at you like Travis's, um, <laughs> most of what you do is never going to work. Um, it's just, it's, you're not going to vibe with your teammates. Things are going to be difficult for you. But if you focus on the craft of the situation, you're not results oriented, you're process oriented. Then I think it allows the audience the space to laugh at you because they don't feel like you need that. Yeah, they're not. We're not worried about you at that point. If we're worried, yeah, about you can't them. laugh if you're worried about someone. Like if you are stressed for them. Yeah, if we're stressed for them and worried. Yeah, that's a great point. When I get on stage, I'm so anxious for the laughs that people are like, "Oh, is that guy okay?" And then because they're concerned for my mental state, they're not in a place to laugh. Fun, right? So, they're yeah. like, "Look at that beard. He's overcompensating." Like, what is he trying to prove? What is that guy trying to prove? He's sweating so much. And look at how much weight he's gained. Like, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot that gets in the way. Hey, be nice to my husband. Hey, I will never shame you for that. You look great. Stop being mean to my husband. Travis is too confident. We just, I just have to bring him down to my level of insecurity so that I feel. It's going to take a long time, buddy. (laughs) My ego is very healthy. (laughs) Yeah, he likes himself a lot. Very healthy ego. I feel like I'm the most cocky person on this team, so, but I never get attacked for that, so. (laughs) I don't think you're cocky. I think you guys are confident in your abilities, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's very appropriate. Yeah, I would never describe myself as cocky. No, Whitney's right. We're the best improv team on the planet. We're the best looking we're the most talented yeah Uh, Mm -hmm. all of our shows are perfect funny model like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah you guys yeah you guys are like if if a soap opera casting department were to cast a improv team they would choose all the best looking people which is the three of you yeah thank you and then they would have somebody else come in maybe like jerry seinfeld or something and cast the funny and you guys would still be the three that he picked. Perfection. Hmm. Well said. I don't know. I've never seen like a full episode of Seinfeld, so I'm not entirely sure. Oh, but my God. Oh, God. But Jesse's never going to come back. <laughs> <laughs>
You keep yeah. saying stuff like that. That's why I need him to come back. That's we do. Whitney, we oh, do. Whitney, we're gonna get Whitney to call him and she'll just like I have cancer. <laughs> you use your cancer card, Jesse. Come when he's got cancer, you gotta come back to Storm Chaser. It's her dying wish. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that got dark. That got dark. I'm not dying. I'm getting better. Oh uh, no. <laughs> Okay, so we've talking about your least favorite thing to see in improv. What is one of your favorite things to see in improv? Besides Travis shirtless. I I like seeing you guys have fun. I like watching I like watching you guys <laughs> have fun. It's so good. When you guys are having fun, you you're absolutely unstoppable. Well, thanks. We're going to have you, we're just going to keep interviewing you and no one else because it's great. Mm -hmm. It's good for both of us. It's good for all of our egos is, you know, (laughs) all the nice things that we can just keep saying back and forth to each other. How do you feel like that um, joy in performance translates to your dramatic work? Like, do you find joy in it? Is it more a feeling of satisfaction? And, and, and then when you are on an emotional precipice, does that still feel like joy to you? Or I'm, yeah. I'm just curious how that totally, translates. totally. Very rarely after you say cut, am I not smiling? It's just, I just love doing this so much. There's something just innately fun about pretending no matter what state I'm in. I'm not, I'm not a person who, if you need me to get emotional, if you have to get me to a place where I can cry, I don't, I'm, I'm not the type of person who has, who has to linger in that place. Right. Um, I don't need a, let me get into it. Let me get out of it. Second. I just am like, okay, we're going to, we're going to start pretending now. Okay. Let's start pretending now. And then I pretend, (laughs) you know, having worked with you, I can attest that this checks out. I feel like you're a real joy to have on set. And then you sort of just pop in and out. And you're really the- I love being on set. Yeah, like there's a levity to your presence. And I feel like you're, you know, interacting with people, joking with people. And then the moment it starts, you're just in it, which I know is different from some other actors who are like, you know, don't talk to me. I need to be in my own like headspace and stuff. Yeah. Um, So I'm- Which is super valid for them. Yeah. You know, like that's super, I, I don't discredit that process at all. That's super valid process. Mine is just a little bit different. I, I, I don't think because I am, I cry at helpful Honda commercials and things like that. I think if I was the type of actor that was forced to stay in this place of fear or sadness or something that I could get stuck. Mm. So I'm grateful that I don't have to, that, that that's not something that I do have to do, but I, I'm, I'm not discrediting that process at all. That's a very beautiful process. That's something I never thought about with you in that because you lived your life so emotionally accessible, that maybe that's part of the reason why in acting your emotions are quote unquote easier to get to you. They're yeah. so accessible. Whereas like someone like me, I do need a minute to get there. And maybe that's because I have to like fight through all these walls that I've put up to like open up that place in my emotional being. But you live your life with emotions accessible so you can get to them faster as an as an actor. I think that's kind of cool. I never thought about that. 
Yeah, how can we be like you, Whitney? Yeah, man, why not? Why not just be willing to live and accept what life is doing, you know? Just take what life gives you. Just do it. Just go on the roller coasters. They're there anyway. What's hating the, what's hating the process going to do? You know? So just feel it. Enjoy it. Enjoy all the things. Is that your acting mantra? Just do it. Just That's do my, it. Yeah. Enjoy all the things. Enjoy all the things. A book by Whitney Morgan Cox. Enjoy all the things. Enjoy all the things. What's the point yeah. if you don't? There is no point. Well, I think that is a wonderful message to wrap things up on. Whit, Let's wrap it up. have exceeded even my impossibly high expectations as a mm. guest on our very first episode of The Artist Brain. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're just the best. I love you so much. And you're I'm the best. so, even though Jesse's your favorite and I'm jealous of that. You guys know who my real favorite is. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, I know it's me. Yep. Look, Whitney, thank you so much for being on. If uh, you ever have to, you know, talk about how <clears throat> people that you live with are frustrating you, we are always <laughs> here for you, me and Natasha. Because I know, I know you must need to vent sometimes. Yeah, my my, my uh, home life is a little. Yeah, your uh, your roommate, your roommate's real real needy. Yeah, um, that's got to be tough. It's real clutchy. Real real clutchy. Just, I don't know what to do about it, man. I'm working on it. Well, again, thank you so much for your being here. Thanks for your positive attitude. You. I'm not exaggerating when I say you are an inspiration to people with how you face life and how you handle trials. I'm, it's real. I'm not, I mean, I do love you very much, but I'm also telling the truth. Before you go, I do want to plug some things for you because I know you won't plug yourself. You can follow Whitney on Instagram at Whitney M. Cox. Uh, find her on Facebook, Whitney Morgan Cox. Check out her IMDb. She's on all the things. So definitely go give her a follow. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you to our listeners for listening. And we'll see you next time. Love you. Bye. We, do we really have to say goodbye? <laughs> All right, folks. Thank you, as always, for joining us for this episode of the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show, our very first Artist Brain interview. Man, we are so excited for this series, and boy, do we have some fantastic interviews lined up. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, follow, share, rate, push all the buttons, and please take a quick 60 seconds to leave us a review. We're a young budding podcast, and your small supportive acts of kindness really go a long way in helping us reach our goal of world domination. We really, really love you. You can connect with us on Instagram at Storm Chaser Improv or on Facebook backslash Storm Chaser Improv and on our website with links to the podcast, including show notes at www.stormchaserimprov.com. If you would like to sponsor this podcast, that would be just so wonderful. Whether you're an individual who just crafted their own small batch brand of hot sauce, or you're a multi-billion dollar company selling your product to the masses by the millions, but you just 
haven't been able to crack the ever-coveted indie improv market, we have the solution for you. Reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram or send us an email at stormchaserimprov at gmail.com for more info. Thank you again for listening. We love you guys. Now, go chase a storm. Thank you for listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show.